You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. I think what you're trying to ask is uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It, it, I have no choice over it. In the first place, to me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So again, I think I've said this before in the same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning to all the truth seekers out there. I am working to get my special guest on this morning, so hopefully we can get that figured out. So I'll go ahead and let the cat out the bag on this morning's discussion question. Again, hoping to get our host, our special guest on. I am without host this morning. Um, everybody's busy or either sick, so hopefully I won't be boring you for the next two hours with just my voice as we work this out. Hopefully work this out. I've uh, been scrambling pretty hard this week, looking to um, pull this off, looking forward to this conversation. Again, um, just got an email from my guest, so hopefully they'll, I'll get them on pretty soon here. Um, but this morning's discussion question, economically claimed, black people save ourselves. Um, looking to Give me a second, y'all. Y'all just bear with me. Um, like I said, just kind of going back and forth with the guest, hoping to get them on here pretty soon. All right, y'all bear with me. I'm going to actually – all right, y'all. Yeah, we have to make it work sometimes. That's how it goes. So what I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna reach out and see. Y'all gonna hear a phone call. I'm just trying to reach out and get our guest on. So, all right, yeah, we'll hear the phone ringing. Just letting everybody know what's going on as we try to pull our guest on. Maybe something came up, and in the event that we're not able to get the guest on, uh, hopefully you callers out there will hold me down to get through this discussion. So let's see. Hopefully everything's okay. But y'all will. I should hear the phone ringing in here in a second if I get do this correctly. Hold on, y'all. All right. Hopefully we're going to get our guest on. Hello. Hello, Dr. Ball. Speaking. This is Montoya from the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, just trying to get you on with us this morning. Hopefully everything's okay. Yeah, everything's good. I'm all set. 
Okay, okay, okay. Thank you, thank you, okay, thank you. I, yep, just reached it out. We're actually live on the air right now, so I'm just reaching out to you. Right on. Um, all right, sounds good. So, all right, let's make this thing work. Thank you for being with us, if you will. Um, if you will, Dr. Ball, I always have the guests give whatever background they would like to give. So, again, glad to have you with us this morning. Um, I call my listener, listeners the intellectual outcasts out there listening. So, if you will, just give a little bit of your background before we get into this morning's discussion question again. But thank you for being with us, King. Uh, right on. I appreciate it. Uh, so, peace. Greetings to everybody. My name is Jared Ball, uh, and I'm a father, a husband, and a professor of Africana and Media Studies at Morgan State University in Baltimore. I am co-host or co-founder of Black Power Media, blackpowermedia.org, and I host a show called I Mix What I Like. And everything for me personally can be found at I Mix What I Like and all your social media and at imixwhatilike.org. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, absolutely glad to have you with you. And I would like to highlight, as I've been promoting all week, you are the author of the myth and propaganda of black buying power, and which is directly related to this morning's discussion question. Again, I know this is your first time with us, Dr. Ball. I hope to have you in the future. I am a follower of you and Kalanji Changa over at Black Power Media, so definitely love what you do. Um, I've actually discovered you um I would say in your initial years of doing the research for the actual book, because uh, you in a, in a long, have spent a long time on this charge, kind of, as I say, getting the correct information out there. And so me, as a seeker of truth and facts, um, I've been following you for a long time. So it's a, absolutely my pleasure to have you on this morning, if I can say that to you personally. Um, but as I said, we do this show in the form of a question, and this morning's discussion question is, economically, can black people save ourselves? I'll repeat that once again. Economically, can black people save ourselves? Uh, I take the Socratic method with all of our discussion questions, which means hopefully we ask enough questions to get to the right answers or give people some direction. And so the way I love to start the show, Dr. Ball, if you will, is when I sent you and said, hey, here's the title of the show. Can you recall your first initial thought to the question, Just and in particular, the way that it's worded? Economically, can black people save ourselves? What was your initial thought to that question in particular? No. <laughs> Simple as that. Unfortunately, no. Simple as that. There saying. is no economic solution to, to uh, capitalism. There is a political solution. There is a political power solution. And just quickly, I do not mean mainstream engagement with electoral politics. I mean the assumption of political power, which given that his birthday just passed yesterday, I like to define as did Huey Newton, which is the ability to define phenomena and have it act in a desired manner. But no, the short answer is no. There is no economic solution to uh, a political problem, uh, which is what ultimately capitalism is. Now, I definitely respect that. And for the caller out there, we'll definitely allow you all to get in after the break. So I'll go ahead and give the number out for anybody that wants to get in on this morning's discussion. Uh, that number is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646-787-1691. For anyone that wants to speak, you will have to press 1, if you will, to get in on this discussion with us this morning. Before we go to break, I'll go ahead and take my stab at Obviously, I made the question, but to kind of give my initial thoughts to economically can't black people save ourselves, 
Um, I have similar sentiments. Obviously, we'll get further into our, our special guest, Dr. Ball's ideas for why he says such. Uh, but I have similar sentiments in in the way that we look at economically saving ourselves, in my opinion, uh, often when I see people, in a sense, tout those ideas of what can we can do or what we should be doing, um, I feel similar to you, Dr. Ball, but just from the standpoint of people often suggesting that, in my opinion, are usually equipped with, the, I would say, the wrong information. And I always say, how can you have a solution if you have an incorrect assessment of, I would say, the sad reality of where, in a sense, our community sits economically? Now, there are, I would say, great opportunities for what I would say is people can follow, if you will, quote, unquote, the rules of money and successfully put themselves in great positions and also from time to time have power influence. Uh, I even encourage that highly. Um, you know, even when you talk about political solutions, but often there's this thought, in my opinion, within our community that we could, in a sense, because we're in a capitalistic society, just focus on economics in, in the way I always hear it said, similar to how the quote-unquote Asians do, and we'll be just fine. And so that's my long response to that question, again, just based on a lot of that information um, or, or a lot of thoughts that I see out there. So if you will, give me a quick thought, and we'll go further into that thought because we've got to go up to we'll up against the break. So just a quick thought to some of what I've said as well and that I think people think that we can from a misrepresentation of the information. We'll get into that information after the break. But just a quick thought from you, Dr. Ball, and then we'll go to break. Well, that's why propaganda is in the title of my book. Most of what people think that they understand about, quote, unquote, financial literacy and economics is, is simply propaganda. Uh, and the, the point that you were making about capitalism allowing for people to do, to, to do well economically uh, um, or, or to suggest that there's a solution economically because capitalism is thought to be an economic model is often misunderstood. Capitalism is not just about economics. It's a social relationship. Uh, it's a political relationship in, uh, um, governed on the surface level by the by finance and the economy, but it's much deeper and bigger than that, uh, and it's structured in such a way that it requires the inequality that we continue to face. So, um, yeah, the short answer again <clears throat> is that much of the misunderstanding is created intentionally, uh, and we can talk more about the details of that going forward. Absolutely. All right, let's go to this first break just to let you know the breaks are live. So if you need to move, it's a pretty short break, so not not too long to hold, but just know that they are live if you decide to move around or anything. Um, you can mute yourself, but um, if you will, you can come off mute after the break. Um, but again, a short break, and we'll be playing a cut that we'll respond to as well, Dr. Ball. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Do you simply want your taxes done this tax season, or do you prefer to have your taxes completed by a professional on top of current and constantly changing tax codes? If so, look no further than S-Kinds Accounting and Tax Services, where each year, plenty of satisfied customers from around the country return for an efficient and professional tax experience. For small businesses, S-Kinds Accounting and Tax not only provides bookkeeping and accounting on a monthly, quarterly, and or yearly basis, but S-Kinds Accounting and Tax goes above and beyond to provide yearly tax strategies to increase the bottom line. 
profits. While no one likes when Uncle Sam or the IRS comes knocking, know you're in good hands with S-Kind's accounting and tax. Call them today at 770-947-3667. Again, that's 770-947-3667. Or email them at advice at thetaxcoach.com. It is time now for our Equity and Opportunity Series. And Frank Holland joins us this morning with a closer look at the growth in black spending power. Frank. Hey, good morning to you, Andrew. Black spending power reached a record $1.6 trillion in 2021. The ability to buy, save, and invest more than doubling since 2000. That growth exceeding the full U.S. economy, but actually lagging other ethnic groups, Latinos with a 288% increase, Asians with a 388% increase in spending power. However, other groups, they've also seen an increase in their net worth. Black Americans instead have seen their wealth actually fall by 14%. And with the S&P gaining 27% last year, the value of U.S. homes increasing by 31% last year, many black leaders are asking the black community to really rethink how it spends. Save money to purchase the most important asset you'll probably ever own, and that's your home. And that to me is, is equally important as I said. I, I put it right up there with uh, arguing or campaigning for supporting voting rights. I would love to see us spend more money in the stock market. Instead of uh, buying the hottest new thing, buy the stock of the hottest new thing. And that's something that is something that you can also pass down generation to generation. Home ownership is typically the biggest wealth builder in the black community. That's actually fallen more than 3% since 2000. And annually, black families accumulate $300 billion less in wealth than white families, and they save $75 billion less. The racial wealth gap now at more than $11 trillion. Back over to you. Frankie, the, the statistics are startling and fascinating in so many different ways. Do business leaders and other experts have thoughts on how to stop the trend and what's really behind it? Yeah, of course. I mean, some of it is simply allocating more capital to assets that at least have the potential to appreciate, things like houses, stocks, and bonds. Other reasons are systemic, and that's why about one out of every five black family has a negative net worth. Right now, systemic issues, uh, redlining in housing, uh, disparities in education, and other issues that are going to take a longer time to address. Shepard Smith here. Thanks for watching CNBC on YouTube. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest Dr. Jerry Paul, the author of The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power. This morning's discussion question, economically, can black people save ourselves? Dr. Ball, you heard a lot in that cut. Um, I'm pretty sure from following, I should say pretty sure, I know for a fact from following you, uh, you even hate the misnomers spending Black spending power, as we heard in that cut, it's a, it's a term you've long tried to get rid of, and it has survived, you know, and it still survives, obviously, with the Seed uh, League study done every year that highlights those numbers that we, where we get those numbers from. Clearly, it's not going to go away in that sense. Um, but I'll let you kind of jump in where you fit in. Again, a lot said in that cut, um, but wherever you were, you know, again, like to jump in to explain I would say this misnomer for people that may be hearing that for the first time today. Go ahead, King. So, I mean, so first of all, just let's start with the context of that conversation, CNBC. This is, this is 
mainstream commercial media funded by every form of the military industrial complex, manufacturing, uh, the, the, the business world, Wall Street funds that media outlet. Uh, and if you notice that in, even in the phrasing of the question that was asked, um, uh, at one point the question was, do business leaders have answers to all of these problems? Uh, which again reveals to whom they are speaking and for whom that discussion is actually occurring. They're not talking to labor organizers. They're not talking to working people. They're not talking to, to uh, economists. They're not talking talking to uh, uh, historians. They're not, you know, they're talking to the people who will give them the answers they want to hear. So that's important to just note and for people to be aware of. The specifics of spending power and buying power, and it's cited the, in, even in that piece, $1.6 trillion, is a number that I've been tracing, you know, is a, is a claim I've been tracing for a number of years and exposing and having exposed. It's not, it, 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 I mean, it's not, frankly, it's not entirely complicated. It's, it, you know, it's just that people don't look and they're never encouraged to look uh, right. at the sourcing, at the origins of the claims, and they, they don't look at the data. Uh, they're not taught to look at the data. They're not explained the data in, in news pieces like the ones we just heard. So there is no $1.6 trillion that black people have and just choose to, to ignorantly spend uh, uh, Ill illiterately uh, right. causing their own poverty. That's not what is going on here. The, the, the figure is a, is a wholly concocted number that we can talk about more later if you like that is meant to reflect what potential there is for advertisers to attract revenue from certain segments of the, the, the economy, from society. They're not, it's not a measurement of, of income. It's not a measurement of wealth. It's not, it's not anything that would be used to assess the actual economic condition. It is a misrepresented number that is uh, only there to help businesses communicate with one another, market their products, sell their advertising, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's just unfortunately misquoted and misrepresented and brought into every level of the black community uh, fraudulently. And it continues to confuse people in terms of what can be done and what should be done. Yeah. If I could add this context and then correct me if I'm wrong on it, but like you said, it's just a matter of looking. And so I was a person, for example, for years uh, that would, take that same propaganda when I had the misunderstanding and had not looked, as you said, right, um, and take the misunderstanding. And I would go, yeah, we're the biggest consumers in the country. Black people are the biggest consumers in the country. And when I finally did, just as you said, looked at the numbers, I was like, what? And, and the reason I was shocked, because I'm like, oh, wow, I've never heard the how much Hispanics spend. I've never heard how much Asians spend. I've never heard how much white people spend. And I was like, wow, I've only been shown this context in, in just within ourselves. And so the first time been back, but then this is years ago when the number was 1.2, which has you know, been many years ago now, whatever, that was the number that was highlighted back then. And so my assumptions, because we were so-called the biggest consumers, was that our 1.2, we were, I, I assume because of how it was told to me, even from some of our leaders within our community, because of how it was told to me, I actually assume if we were the biggest consumers, that I want point two that we were outspending everyone else. But again, once I looked at the number and saw the context, I was like, we're far from the biggest consumers. And the other part of that is the, for the aspect of how the number, in a sense, is put together, this is the part nobody includes. 
the majority of all of that spending, even for each group in particular, whether it's white, Asian, black, or whoever, the majority of that spending goes to housing, transportation, and food, which makes up about 40% of the number. And then the other 60% is going to go to other necessities and discretionary monies. But if you've never even give, been given that information in context, like you said, you think it's we're frivolously running through $1.6 trillion on foolish things. And the reality is there's not a, a lot of discretionary money to even do what people are assuming we're doing as African-Americans. Uh, brother, if, if, I, if I got anything incorrect, and, and, and again, this is me seeing your work and going to do some of my own research to share how I view what I've seen in chasing some of your work. So, you know, if I have, if I have anything out of context, please let me know, brother. No, it's, I mean, I, not at all. You know, if, 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 if anything, you're, you're speaking to part of what goes on with the mythology. And then what people will do is they'll pick up on these little bits and pieces of information that are thrown around and they'll start being encouraged to, to say, and to think, well, if we just collectively use this trillion dollars differently, we could invest in this, that, and the other. Uh, but there's a number of problems with that. One, we're talking about the total spending of the entire black community. And as you just laid out, it's not all on just whatever we want. Uh, it, it is often on what we need, and it is most more than that, it's on what is available to us. There is no land and stock and, and mass amounts of housing that people can buy and flip and turn into wealth that would, again, address the collective inequality. Handfuls of people can always do well. There has never been a point in human history, even at the worst conditions, when there weren't a few who were doing relatively well. But that's not what we're talking about here. So black wealth collectively is headed to zero by 2053. Uh, Wall Street is increasingly uh, buying up all of the, the remaining housing that has been lost even since the last collapse in 2008 meaning that all this nonsense about telling black people to buy and flip houses, one, black people don't have the money to do that. Two, they've already lost the houses that they bought last time during the last collapse after being told for decades that home ownership is the pathway to equality when there's, there are several reasons why that's not the case, including the fact that when the broader economy collapses, uh, black people with most of their wealth wrapped up in their homes lose everything. Um, the, 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 so, so again, the, 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 there's just a mass amount of misinformation that is, is encouraging that, that has really, and part of what I, what I did in my work is to trace some of that history. So when you mention some of our leaders, this has been a problem that has persisted among all forms of black leadership from the far left to the far right. Uh, the mythology is that pervasive in everybody that they can attach their particular agenda to this mythology and make some corrective measure. And as you pointed out earlier, when you, when you, when you, when your premise is flawed, everything else is going to be flawed that, uh, that extends from that. So uh, even the best intentions, not, it's not that everybody is a liar or a hustler. Right. There are plenty of those. Right. It's that there are people just honestly making mis mis statements and misjudgments based on flawed information and propaganda that has been cultivated intentionally for 150 years. So, so uh, it's, a, it's, a, it is a, it's a complicated, the, 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 the details of the issue are, are relatively easy. It's the, it's the layering of the mythology that becomes yeah. a bigger problem.
Absolutely. And, 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 and what I would like to highlight for anyone out there listening, and again, let me know how you feel about this as well, brother, but when you, when you start getting into that layer, layering and you're breaking this down, like somebody who's maybe, maybe, maybe it's their first time hearing what you and I are talking about. Maybe it's their first time hearing some of this context. And so what often happens, in my opinion, in, in having these dialogue, I literally just had this dialogue last night because I was bragging about the fact that I was going to get to talk to you today because, again, I've been following you for years, brother. And so, but in that conversation, I was breaking down to people. I says, don't confuse the, like, when, when we give, give you the correct information, these correct numbers, don't confuse that in even sharing this information because, as you said, it's been mythologized it's to, the, to the point where people think, you're saying something ridiculous because they've always heard something different, right? And I say, don't confuse that when I'm sharing these numbers and highlighting, again, trying to make the correct assessment about, quote, unquote, what collectively should be done. Don't confuse it with that individually you might can do some of those things because, again, there are rules of money. There are things of capitalism in which you individually can be successful, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I would like for us to understand that those two things are very different. And like you said, people with good intentions will assume something that can individually be successful or you, me, and five other friends, right, can get together and do something successfully. Again, nothing wrong with that. However, we, we broad brush it quite often because we don't understand the entire assessment of how things came to be or how wealth was lost. You know, speaking of, like you said, what happened since 2008, like just even understanding the general history. I'll give an example that I know you're familiar with, but the example of, um, well, I think it was, I may, and I may have some of the, the years are quite off, but I, the numbers are pretty relatively um, pretty pretty close. I think maybe 1910 or 1919, um, just in the fact that our ancestors coming out of the enslavement period, if you will, were able to acquire what 20 million acres of formable land. And then when you find out that you know a, a whole hundred years later, we got about five million um, acres of formable land. So in the context of all the mythology. That's the we, people with of the mythology of we we spend our money wrong we spend 1.6 trillion wrong so when you hear that number go from 20 to five we literally will attach it to the mythology and go yeah because of our frivolous spending we only have five million acres of formable land now did completely devoid of the land seizure intentionally speaking of the politics now of this country from 1930 to 1970 and finding out how, whether it was eminent domain, which is quote unquote legal, or I'm from the South and I asked some of my deacons in my church, if you ever grew up in a Southern church, like, you know, tell me about our town. And they're telling me how they would illegally take the land from people who were relatively illiterate. And there's many more, Things that still happen right now to this day that, that, that play a part. It wasn't our foolishness. You think our ancestors were smart enough to get their hands on land and give it away because of frivolous spending, but that's how we see our people because of this mythology. Go ahead, King. No, I love, I mean, you make a great point. I mean, there's, there's, this is, and this is ultimately the argument I'm trying to make that, that, that historically we have been convinced through lies and manipulation that the pathway is economic, business, investment, et cetera. Uh, and meanwhile, to your point, 
every turn, at every turn, there is, if it's not direct overt violence, it's the uh, even more powerful apparatus of political power that that destroys every effort that black people and, and for that matter, many others have tried to make uh, to 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 reach some sort of equality economically or, or, or you know, something akin to that. So, I mean, the same thing happens when we look at the, the history as is often misunderstood around Black Wall Street or or wherever else. The, these black communities economically were ultimately destroyed, not because of the white vigilante violence, which was horrific and bad enough, but because of the public public policy that came in later and put in highways dividing up communities yeah. and re- rezoned communities and stopped businesses from getting licenses and, and gave contracts to white businesses instead of black. I mean, that's, that's the process. And so as you outlined perfectly in terms of land, this is the point. And nowadays, it's, it's literally as we're talking, this is what's happening now. Wall Street is, is, is um, uh, pulling its endless resources and buying up all this rental property and, and, and not so. So in fact, I just saw some analysis about this the other day uh, that, that uh, I haven't fully vetted, but sounds reasonable, makes perfect sense. And the, the, the basic argument was that um, before 2008, the most elite, the most elite uh, in, in Wall Street were not buying uh, private property or rental property. They were buying uh, malls and and business properties and and uh, you know office buildings and manufacturing plants uh, because they knew that 2008 was coming and the mortgage crisis was going to collapse and, and all those properties were going to drop in value people were going to lose their homes and and then in the aftermath they knew what that they would be able to do what they've been doing since which is buy up all that property and they're increasingly doing it now. Uh, with that, with a yet another wave of people losing their homes and uh, uh, their property values dropping, uh, you know, uh, so so now those big entities, those those pooled resources, are coming in and buying up the those private properties, those rental properties, and then they're going to turn around and make them available to all of the people, many of whom are black and brown, who lost their ownership. Uh, after the 2008 crisis, uh, so it's it's this is <laughs> plug and there play. There is no plug and play. It's plug, plug and play, play, and there's no way yep. we can keep. We, we can't pull our resources to keep up. We cannot. Uh, there we don't have those resources. Uh, the only possibility we have is, as I said, in some sort of political policy, political power, and addressing ourselves to public policy in one form or another. Now, it makes sense. We're up against another break, brother. So, again, if you will, stay tuned during the break. I'll be playing another cut that we'll be responding to. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Have you heard the adage that a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, meet Livy Blue Photography, a premier company specializing in capturing your family portraits and turning them into wall art that stands the test of time. One visit to their website, LivyBlue.com, and you will immediately be blown away by the experience as you peruse their gallery. The lead photographer, Jalivia Northern, is a published photographer with over 10 years of experience in capturing families, weddings, and school senior portraits. If you want a breathtaking photography experience, contact Livy Blue Photography at LivyBlue.com. That's L-I-V-I-B-L-U-E.com. 
out of them. Then you, then you, then you go to your politicians and say, I want you to support this. And we're going to mark this as a black business district where black folk can practice group economics. Your money must bounce. If you're going to be competitive in, a, in playing real-life monopoly, your money must bounce 8 to 12 times before it leaves your hands. Now, typically, Hispanic money bounces 6 to 7 times. White money bounces 8 to 12 times. Asian and, and, and Arab money bounces 12 to 13 times. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black money doesn't bounce once. The danger zone in this world right now in any city is to get between, a, on payday, to get between where a black person is working and getting paid and getting to a mall. You'll get run over, that's as fast as hell because they're going to go straight to that mall with the money. They don't bounce the money. They don't buy snow on people and circulate the money. Their money must bounce around. And that's the, that's the problem in Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan right now, they had a, they had a, a budget up there of something like about seven, eight billion dollars. They had another $2 billion in school, and black folk were circulating about another 4 or $5 billion. If they had circulated 10 to 12 times, they would have had about $300 billion to run that city. But all of them go right across 8 Mile Road and drop their money. And, that, and, they, and they produce no income, and no jobs, no services, no goods, no tax base for their own people. They provide it for the suburbs. The suburbs love that. So now Detroit is poor and impoverished because its money went outside the community. And if you want to be able to save this city and help this city at the same time, learn how to buy from your own people. And matter of fact, I got to tell you to buy black means there's a problem. Everybody else knows that. Go right now, I bet you, not on this town, I can go right now and find a Hispanic community. I can find an Arab community. They will buy from their own people. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, economically, can black people save ourselves? Our featured guest is Dr. Jerry Ball, author of The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power, as we hear a cut from years ago from none other Dr. Claude, than Claude Anderson, who we've had on the show um, some years ago. And so I um, wanted to address the infamous, something that uh, I wrote a piece about years ago when I, again, was caught up, I would say, in the methodology of the misinformation and highlighted the fact that the black dollar only circulated for six hours in our community. And people, and this was, and I, I, I quoted that, it probably, no, I know probably over a decade ago, and this, over a decade later, people are still suggesting that. Um, I'll just let you jump in where you fit in, Dr. Ball. I appreciate that. And unfortunately, uh, wrong then and he's still wrong today making similar arguments to this day um and it's not personal and i'm not suggesting he's doing it intentionally i'm saying right. that he is caught know. up in what has been a persistent mythology going back 100 years and i was just looking at some work from abram harris the, the black economist who was writing in the 1930s and already then he was talking about how all of this stuff about circulating dollars and don't buy where you can't work and buy, but all of it he was saying was fraudulent and only there to help the few black business owners uh, who rip off their own community. And that's ultimately all that that is. So, but, but, but I just wanted, you know, I've been trying to just practice this more myself uh, and I would encourage others to do the same and you could be polite. I'm not encouraging people to be hostile about it, but I, you know, when you hear those claims, just ask people, what is their evidence for that? What evidence does anyone have for this nonsense about a circulating dollar and, and that somehow black people are just the only ones incapable of doing this? This is factually incorrect, and there's, there is, as far as I'm aware, zero evidence to support this. There is a longstanding mythology that 
I and my comrade Two Black uh, helped expose, uh, you know, a year or so ago that people can check out at blackpowermedia.org. Um, but where I'll happily send the link to anybody who wants, you know, we, we, we demonstrated that the circulating dollar mythology has a particular origin in the 1990s yep. that, uh, uh, in terms of its more modern form that has yep. no substance. It has no basis in fact. Um, the real reality is that black people don't have any money. Uh, the income and wealth inequality is, 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 is as wide as ever. Uh, the last report I was saying white households had a, um, a median $180,000 of wealth and black households, uh, 24,000, I think. Um, and again, by 2053, it's going to be zero. Um, and I, you know, and, and I've, you know, been in contact with people like Diedrich Muhammad and others who would argue that if you look at the way wealth is defined more, more honestly, it's, it's more like $6,000 that the, the median, uh, black household has in terms of actual wealth and what their, what their assets actually are valued at. Um, but the rea- either way, it doesn't matter. Twenty four thousand is 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 nothing, and it's going to be literally zero by twenty fifty three. Um, the the business community, <clears throat> we've shown, and, and, and others have shown in research that uh, black businesses expand uh, and they capture even less of the national sales revenue simply because they're targeting poor black communities and they're not able to expand. But really, I just want to say very quickly about the circulating dollar nonsense. Um, Circulating dollars does not create wealth. That's not how wealth is created. Wealth is created by investment in the global economy with, with uh, you know, lucky, fortunate, or skilled, uh, adva- you know, uh, investment w- at, at levels that even if you're right will bring back value. So in other words, if, you know, poor black people and others are able to, uh, invest at all, even if they make any money in the stock market, it, it, it's relatively little because they haven't had that much to invest in the first place. So uh, anyway, but, but no, really me, my yeah, point is that circulating dollars doesn't, is not, no, no community has, has built not how wealth is created. Yeah, it's not, it's not economically sound. I have my, uh, one of my co-hosts jumping on here for a second, so I'm going to definitely get her on here. Um, may have her for a minute. Definitely want to get her input. But I want to highlight just the simple financial economics of the concept of circulating dollars. While it can sound like it works, as you just mentioned, that's not how you build wealth. And, it's, you know, and for anybody out there listening, don't just take mine and Dr. Ball's word for it, but I do want to highlight just the simple economics of in, in that, if you were to even try to mathematically circulate a dollar, how there's going to be no additional wealth just because you and I, I trade a dollar with you in your business today, and then I turn around and you trade a dollar with me the next, you know, the next week, there was no wealth created in that exchange. Wealth was created, as you just said, when you go provide value within the system and bring money into your community. So money is a circulation, not a circle that actually works. So uh, uh, a flow of money is how you bring back wealth. And so when we're always, in a sense, even demonizing other groups, quote-unquote, for coming into our community and, and quote-unquote, sucking out our dollars, they're actually exhibiting exactly how you gain wealth is to, as you said, invest, 
put money out. And like you said, if you're right on your decision, you may bring back a level of wealth, which is the correct path. But if you get stuck with the wrong assessment of we need to circulate dollars, now you're actually, like you said, not with anybody doing this with bad intention, but with this misunderstanding, you're actually giving the wrong solution that leads to no wealth. Can you, can, do you understand? Can you just kind of mention that real quick before I get Ashley in here? But do, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, with the, 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 again, I said it in the beginning. You can't have a, the right solution if you have the wrong assessment. And so if you misunderstand the circulating dollar, you try to practice something that actually does not work to gain you wealth. Your thoughts, real quick, Dr. Baldwin. I want to hear Ashley's thoughts. I mean, as well. yeah, just so that Ashley could jump in. I mean, that's, that's basically why I'm just encouraging people to, to, to uh, ask the question of what is your evidence? How are yeah, you reaching yeah. these conclusions? Walk me through it. And then I think that they'll see that, it, that, that there, there's nothing there, and then they can check my work and others and, and get some of the details. No, I love it. Ashley, thanks for jumping in, Queen. What you got for us? Am I live? Yes, you're live. That's why I called you night, oh. Queen. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm stealing you for as long as I got it. I mean, you got a trip to take, so I didn't want to stress you. Uh, you, know, you, know, I don't, you know, I don't like to do these shows on my own, so I know you're calling in to say today, but if I have a long I got you, I'm going to take you. But, um, yeah, jump in. I know, you can, I, start, I know you've been listening for a minute, so, yeah, jump in wherever you, wherever you want, Queen. Yeah, I, I, so I definitely agree with that, right, because uh, I think it comes with everything. Uh, I think we're so quick to accept other people's definitions of things, um, one, because it requires less work, but two, like we're holding ourselves to standards that might be arbitrary or not even real. Um, and I do agree, like investing is the way to go. And I, I just wish that we got that more because it doesn't take a lot to invest. Like all it requires is one that you have the discipline to keep doing it regardless of what's happening with your money. Um, and two, looking at it as uh that long-term investment, right? You're not going to get rich overnight. I want us to stop falling for this hype that it's going to happen overnight. Um, We're we're in an age where the time is going to pass regardless. We need to be setting ourselves up with investments. We already know this life insurance with me, but also those um, investments in terms of into stocks and bonds and really speaking with professionals that have the ability to maximize what our dollar can do. Um, and, and that's where we're going to see the most growth, especially when we can pull those assets together to make it work for us. And so, so again, so this I would be like, my point. I totally disagree with all of that. Let me throw out something real quick, just real quick, and I'll definitely let you jump in. I just want to throw out that, again, in what she's saying, I just want to, and I want to see if you can consider this in your, in your response to her as well. So in what she's saying, I am a fan of this part of it, Dr. Bala didn't absolutely jump back in. I am a fan of once we no longer mistakenly buy into these myths, I am a fan of individually understanding exactly what Ashley is talking about because over time, in my opinion, you can tell me if I'm wrong as well, in your opinion, but over time, if enough people, in a sense, individually understand that and lose sight of the mythology, these mythical ways of how we could get gain quote-unquote power, then you would also have more people in position, in my opinion, if after doing what Ashley talks about on an individual level, to actually understand now we need to listen to the political solutions that like that you bring to the table, if you will, Dr. Ball, for our community. In my opinion, more people doing what she says 
will actually make that more fruitful. And that's just understanding the difference in, quote unquote, the solution, if that makes sense. I don't think they've ever been um, separated in the way that I'm speaking to now. Your thoughts, King? Just wanted to kind of throw that in um, again. So this is my point, though. Go ahead, brother. So this is is my so this is what I'm. This is my point that that the the mythology has been extended by the both of you into uh, well, yeah. The mythology has been extended by the both of you in, in in this sense. There is no so so. Again, I would well. Let me just start it this way. First of all, there is no. This is not opinion. This is not my opinion. There is no data, there is no history, there is no evidence to support the claim that even individually, black people or poor people can in mass, in, in uh, rates with rates of success that would be worthy of even noticing, can improve themselves. So no, there is no long-term investment strategy, there is no sound investment strategy that is a solution for the collective problem of wealth and income inequality. So as I was saying, there will always be the possibility for a handful of people to do as the both of you are suggesting and individually, perhaps relatively speaking, improve their material condition. Although I would still need to see what, what evidence is being offered in terms of uh, rates of success amount of success, defining success. I think all of that is, is sort of um, poorly defined, ill-defined, and left vague. But, but the reality is that, that part of what I'm arguing is that the mythology buying power that can collectively that even exists. But I'm also saying the mythology is meant to suggest that there are, there are uh, financially literate ways to overcome this problem, as the two of you are suggesting. So in other words, what I'm ultimately saying is there is no investment strategy, period, that will work to help any groups of people, particularly black people who have a, have a very specific historical and continuing relationship to the economy. No group has, has increased its wealth through investment long-term or others. otherwise. This is... This is a, a, a fallacy of capitalism. The only people that benefit from that are the owners of the economy, and that is the the handful of most elite people who benefit from all of this micro-investment and uh, um, participation financially, and then politically they benefit because we don't do what we're supposed to be doing, what we should be doing, to organize ourselves to, to redistribute the wealth that all of us are participating and creating already. So I'll stop by saying that part that the 20 plus trillion dollar gross domestic product that we all contribute to in this country, in the United States every year, just from paying our bills and, and shopping and doing all that. If that should be what we target through political power that says redistribute that if anything, and stop telling people that they should, they should make individual adjustments to improve their individual situation. That is the trick bag that will make sure we, we are where we are getting worse off by the day. 
I'm never going to do that because I like, I, I understand what you're saying, right? I get that. I understand all of those things. But the other side of that is that our community, we literally cannot afford emergencies. And not that anyone can in general, but to say like, oh, it's not going to make a difference. If this means that someone is not going to have to file bankruptcy or they're not going to lose their home because they're actually able to go ahead and start investing or they're able to establish a savings, like what you're saying sounds like, well, this is my opinion, this is my take, how it's coming across is like disregard all of that because it doesn't matter because we can't do anything to change it unless we go ahead and get everything together in terms of politics. And that's fine. That I, I understand what you're saying. But the other reality is, is that we do not have financial literacy in our community. We have people that are not willing to even put anything in savings. So I'm willing to go ahead and, like, die on that cross to say, no, you need to be saving because those same habits, those same patterns are what our babies need to see so that they can understand the importance of savings and having things and doing things better than the previous generation. Like, it's just completely discouraging because – Yes, collectively, we might not be able to do anything, but if a family has the ability to go ahead and do something different, if if people have the ability to go ahead and learn things and start investing and improving their individual situation and everything that we learn automatically changes our lives, thereby altering the interactions that we have with people in the future because of the knowledge that we have, I'm always going to advocate for people to get that knowledge and to understand investing and to understand what's happening. We don't know what's happening in the financial world. And if this is one way that we can encourage people to go ahead and save, to start investing, just to get the knowledge, to get the awareness so that they're looking at things differently, then by all means, like, I'm going to encourage that. And let me throw this in as well, So just because I know my hour is about up, if I could just say – can I just real quick, Dr. Bob, I'm going to say very quick, and you're going to respond to it. And I'm just highlighting what, what I would love to get, the clarity I would like to add to what she's saying, and obviously I agree with her. I already have. I just want to add the clarity. The clarity in what we're saying is neither of us offered it as a collective solution. We're highlighting, that's what I said, we're separating. Right, and, and I'm not clear about that, but that's, my, that's exactly my point. That's part okay, of the problem ahead. with the mythology. And since I know my time is about up, let me just, let me just say here again, I'll, I'll encourage people to, to, to ask the question of, because this is the line we often hear. This is the propaganda. This is the mythology that is, is baked in to what I've been studying and trying to expose. This is exactly how it works. There is no evidence. So just going through what, 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 what Ashley just said, there is zero evidence to suggest that people who are already, I, I would, let me put it this way. I would want to see the evidence. That, would, that is convincing that poor people have been able to and can continue to expect to properly invest to survive economic collapses. It's a very accurate point that is true that almost nobody, black or white, has even $600 in their account to survive an economic uh, a crisis. To suggest that the solution to that is investment or to suggest that the reason for that condition is some sort of financial illiteracy is exactly the mythology that I'm trying to expose. Poor people are not poor because they are financially illiterate. Poor people are not poor because they fail to take advantage of certain economic opportunities, as they're called in this country. 
poor people are poor because it is the design of an exploitative social relationship to this political to this economy. So um, yes, it may be discouraging to hear that that the myth that the myth that people have been in, encouraged to believe in of individual financial uh, improvement and literacy as a solution uh, is not real, but that is unfortunately the reality. The data, the history, the evidence is almost exclusively on the side of the argument I'm making, and there is zero on the side that is, that is uh, uh, behind the claims that we often hear as we just heard just a moment ago. All I can do is continue to encourage people to look at the data, look at the evidence. I've outlined a bunch of it in my work. There's more in the work that I and my colleagues are doing, uh, and uh, I, I, and that's that's all I can do. But, so but the, the line of reasoning that the two of you are suggesting here is just yeah. simply not supported by any data or evidence, okay. uh, and I so think he, should be abandoned as a tactic. So, so I would like to jump in. I want to let one of our callers get in as well. So I'm going to let a caller jump in. And based on what we're offering and the evidence would be friends of mine who have actually used Ashley's process to be in a position and some have gotten in a position to make relationships to influence, for example, politics here in Atlanta or whatever. So learning their process, that, that is the evidence when I have several people who have navigated that situation to get in a position to actually some don't you know get involved in politics or whatever but even the political solution that you would talk about still would be more influenced by people who have in my opinion followed Ashley's path and again I'm not talking about the path to doing anything collectively following what Ashley's talking about so I'm just hearing when you say there's no evidence if since we're only talking about the individual wouldn't the individual that has that has went from poor to being okay or had a second generation, which I know some people who have that have done that, wouldn't they be evidence since we're only since we're only proposing for the individual? Would but you're suggesting that that's evidence that more people can duplicate that and solve the problem. And what I'm saying is that that is evidence have, that creates the back, that, that, that that's all. the evidence that creates the bigger problem for the collective. So for every we're handful of people that. that do what you say do, the collective Dr. gets Ball, worse off, and then is told that they should have a hand that they should follow the the example of a handful which is part of the fallacy in the mythology. It is not sound logic to tell Dr. poor Ball, people to follow the path of a lottery winner to, 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 as a solution. That's all Dr. I'm trying Ball. to say. All right, but we're not connecting the we're not connecting the two. You're 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 assuming. No, you well, well, what is when you're what what when you're saying evidence? What I'm saying is, I'm, no, you are connecting the dots. You're just you're you're just it's 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 the mythology is what is convincing you that you're not. When you're saying evidence exists that individuals can use financial literacy to improve their condition, your your the argument you're ultimately attempting to make is that there are solutions for others to follow were they to do that. Uh, and that, that, and that, the, that these individuals who do that are then able to, as you're saying, that they are able to then make a greater impact on the collective. And I'm saying that that is factually incorrect. And what you are pointing to is the evidence of the exceptions that prove the rule. There will always be a handful who are able to relatively improve their condition, and then they are held up as examples for the rest to follow, which, is the, which assures that the rest will be worse off. 
So, again, if we look at the condition of black people, whether it's in Atlanta or anywhere else, for every advance that you would point to in terms of an individual or a handful of people, the collective gets worse. So whenever, so it, so to say that you're not connecting the dots is, is misunderstanding or is disingenuously uh, 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 referencing or, or pointing out uh, the so-called success story. That uh, you're, you're, so, you, you are suggesting that it's evident let me let, for let me a let pathway for other people me, to follow. Me, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, Ashley wants to respond. And so, brother, you to they, go ahead. No, she can have last word because unfortunately I have to go anyway. So you all can have the last word. I would just encourage everybody to check the evidence and check my work and and have me back at another time. I'm happy to come back and continue this conversation. I appreciate you have having been invited here. Thank you all no, very absolutely. much. No, I would love to have you back. Go ahead, Ashley. I'm sorry, brother Piak. I was trying to get you in as well. Uh, but, but Dr. Ball has to go. Go ahead, Ashley. Um, I yeah, I do. response to him, but go ahead and just say what you want to say at this point. He has, unfortunately, he yeah, has to you know, my, my question to him would have been, like, evidence aside, like, then what can people do? Because I, I feel like at this point, everything that he was saying, like, that's fine, but that doesn't help us move to the other side. So how, how do we change it? What can people do? Because if from his standpoint, like, okay, that might be the data, that might be the evidence, but how is that helping people? How is that helping our community? Because all it sounds like is it's discouraging, like there is nothing that you can do. So in my mind, if I didn't have financial discipline, if I didn't understand finances, I'd be like, well, I need to just keep doing what I'm doing because there's no point. What? No, I feel you on that. I feel you on that. And the other part I would have liked to challenge was just the idea of, um, I um, I know that like for, just from following his work, they're very heavy on organizing politically because um, something he said. I don't know if you heard it in the beginning of the show, but he highlighted that some of what we're looking for requires a political solution, and a lot of times people try to disconnect the economics from the politics. And so I would like to highlight that even his political solution would require, in my opinion, more people doing what you're, what you're doing to even, which unfortunately we weren't able to get into some of his political solutions. Uh, I was hoping, you know, obviously get his three cents on that, but he wasn't able to stay on for the second hour. But I would have liked to highlight that how are you going to operate politically in our capitalistic s- system without enough people with with the influence? And so, exactly. and I, so it, would go, it goes hand in hand from this standpoint, again, I, I see what he's suggesting. He's suggesting that we're also suggesting that that this could also be a collective solution if enough individuals did that. You and I are both saying, no, we're not connecting those at all. Right. But here's what individuals have to do since this their lay of land, and the more people to do it, the more, you know, the more people that will, in a sense, be okay since the quote-unquote system is what it is. We are clearly separating right. those things. However, when he looks to organize, he's going to look at those people, look towards those people. In my opinion, you know, he's not here, so I would love to hear this. But I would say part of who he's organizing with, he would want some people that have enough, who have followed enough literacy, if you will, to help with that influence. I think it's connected. Obviously, he thinks it's, right. it's not. All right. We are up against the uh, break. We'll get to you, Brother Pianchi, as well as 6237 coming out of the break. Again, how long I got with you, Ash? Because I know you got to get on your get on the road as well. Um, 
checking. I mean, I'll be here for at least another 30 minutes or so. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm just checking. Yeah, we're going to talk through it as best we can. Um, I, initially, we were trying to have him on for both hours, but he had to um, break away. So, I, you know, we won't necessarily focus on just what he had to say, but obviously that's the, the top right now. So we'll be right back and get to both of our callers coming out of the break. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, Pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go, and everywhere I be, be, I don't even talk, talk, they still know it's me. Cause I look like money, smell like money, talk like money, even walk like money. Truth Seekers, please understand, Mental Dialogue is much more than just a talk show. Each and every Saturday, we communicate with you for two reasons, to dialogue and connect. On the dialogue side, we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. On the connect side, we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance, whether personal or business, and mental health, whether it's trauma or to optimize performance along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetups, and this podcast. To become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the culture. Neighborhoods in St. Louis are not created equal. A new study shows just how much it's costing some families. As Michelle Lee explains, it's why it's going to take effort to help people get ahead in this troubling economy. These communities have been lacking investments for years. St. Louis is a tale of 70 zip codes. Not one is alike. The disparity between the white and black zip codes is larger in some areas. Um, particularly in the Midwest and the South. Francesca Ortegren of Clever Real Estate is behind a massive study that shows St. Louis as one of the worst when it comes to housing inequities that stems from decades-old housing discrimination. The majority black neighborhoods have seen a decrease of nearly $50,000 in their home values since 2004, um, and that's compared to um, about $22,000 increase in white neighborhoods or white zip codes in the St. Louis area. That means if you're a homeowner in a black neighborhood, chances are you're actually losing money. Now, when you think about a black household, they have about a tenth of the wealth that a white household would have. 
that is a huge problem and it's also creating this wealth gap. The nonprofit Dream Builders for Equity is now working with the study's founders to turn around this very old problem, helping a community find wealth through home ownership and revitalization. In the summer youth program, students learn about real estate, rehabbing property, and selling. Dream Builders even gives young people a share in the profit. I wrote down everything and soaked it in like a sponge. Everything will be built totally brand new inside and out. Data shows revitalizing a challenged neighborhood leads to an overall healthier economy. It's about investing in our city, no matter the address. It's working every single day and it's growing. And what we are hoping is that we create a model that can then be replicated. In St. Louis, Michelle Lee, Five on Your Side. The study also predicts that if we can help solve the racial wealth gap, it could add up to a $1.5 trillion to the U.S. economy by 2028. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas. This morning's discussion question, economically, can black people save ourselves? And I would highlight this before I let Brother Fierke jump on, Ashley. Like, even that example, the Dream Builders, what they're doing inside of their own community, I always like to love to highlight the fact that when people even suggest, uh, you know, we don't care what happens in our community, there are people in groups like Dream Builders who are out there every day teaching those youth yes. things to be successful because that's even – even to, I would say, even to Dr. Ball's point to a degree, that's what still has to be done in the meantime, you know, kind of regardless of the overall historical outcome. Uh, and there's, as you heard in that cut, there is data that shows reinvesting in your community that there can be some, some you know, some, some improvement with that. Uh, let me get Brother Pianchi on now. Out of, out of, actually, out of St. Louis, so it was like a perfect timing on the cut. All right, Brother Pianchi, we got you live on the air. Give us your three cents this morning. Hello, Montoya. Hey, would you is, is it, can you possibly get me uh, his telephone number, so I could talk to him? But I have um, listened to him before. Okay, I know you just didn't drop in today, so I know you got a connection. Yeah, yeah it, is, it was a little it was a little difficult for me to get it, brother. I'm just gonna keep it a buck or whatever. But he said he's willing to come back to the show, so uh, uh, I don't. I, I like to talk to him personally. No, I would, love, I would love to make that happen, but I'll be in this situation. Normally, you know, I'll gladly connect you, but I, I had to go through people right, as well. You can. So I don't have I don't have a direct one on this one, but go ahead, brother. Well, let me say this. That information that you just heard about St. Louis is a total misleading. It is misleading, and it's that kind of information that Mr. Ball is talking about. That information misleads people for some genuine purpose about for those who are throwing it out there. And I know St. Louis very, very well. And I understand what he's saying. He just ain't deliberate where a common person can understand it. Because this perception about all blacks, and then people like to throw out the population of 46 million, that's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen in any ethnic groups. It's It's individuals. I mean, if you just think about it. Well, for instance, I think somebody mentioned something about stock. Let's take Tesla. Sales for two hundred eight dollars a let me, share. Let me interrupt you real quick. Let me interrupt you real quick, brother Pianchi. Tell me what you think is incorrect about the St. Louis information. I've researched some of that as well. What do you think is incorrect about it? When they when they saying about the uh, it's it's due to cause of racism. There's nothing keeping people from buying property in North St. Louis. 
Now they uh, blacks are in South St. Louis. No, no, no. That's a, but you didn't hear that in the cut. It's, what you heard in the cut. What you heard in that cut, brother Pianchi. And I want you to. I want to. Yeah, I, say, I, I don't. You know. I don't throw out information just to throw it out. So what you heard in that cut was them speaking to the. Because this happens. This is a very evident. I know the evidence here in Atlanta. So again, I know that's your city. So I'm not going to try to trump what you know about your city. But I. But I want you to highlight what was said in the cut. What was said in the cut was the difference in what those homes were valued at and that a lot of those neighborhoods existed because of redlining. That's a fact of where those heads Well, went, let those, me say so this. That's a fact. Let so me we say can't this. say that information is incorrect. Let's not do Let that. me say this. You know, the, the Team 4 plan, which was put about decades ago, and that plan brought about a lot of the uh, instances where you have what we call redlining. Redlining in, in St. Louis is designed to let people know where you got bad schools, you got uh, bad property values, where you got high insurance and high crime. That's exactly what it does. Now, I don't know what it does in Atlanta, but that's what it does in St. Louis. So you said a decade ago, redlining dates back to the 60s, the 70s. No, so it, was a, it was a plan. Redlining, it was, is, redlining was where black people could and could not buy. And when you go back to that level of redlining, you now know why people live where they live. If you're talking about new things they're doing now with the information, we're not that's not the redlining that's being referred to, Brother Pianchi. We gotta keep we gotta have black people in St. Louis can live wherever they want to. Right. So here it is. That but that has nothing to do with what was said in that cut. So you're dismissing the cut because of what's happening now in St. Louis. You can't be devoid of the history of why those people live where they live based on the 40, 50-year history. So, yeah, they may be able to live where they want today, but you can't say that cut is wrong when they're referring to the redlining of the 60s. Blacks in St. Louis area have lived all over St. Louis areas as long as I can ever. And that right, there, what they're saying in that cut is totally, totally wrong. That's why okay. I like to talk to some people when they be making those statements. Okay, so, so, no, can... it ain't as easy as what people perceive it to be. This whole thing about uh, getting into business, if you don't manufacture and produce, uh, those that do is not going to give you, anybody else, what they call family prices over their own. It's not going to happen. China manufactures, China produces. China puts it on a ship, ships it over. They have Chinese, they clear it through the port. They, they store it in Chinese warehouses. They have Chinese that distribute it to Chinese stores. That's the way it works today. But anyway, so much. Appreciate the thoughts, Brother Fiaki. Let's go to another caller. We got area, area code 571, last three, 237. Give us your name. Where you calling from and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey, good morning, brother. Emil, how you doing? Hey, how you doing, King? What you got for us? Hey, so um, first of all, the answer to the question is no. Uh, black people cannot save themselves economically. Um, but individually, we have some tools that can improve our lot. But at the end of the day, we have to remember everything we sell to this economy supports the system that oppresses us. So all we're really doing is making a less, uh, less oppressive, perhaps, or a more comfortable prison cell. 
But at the end of the day, we can't save ourselves because the system is designed against us in that way. However, what I hear from both Ashley and Dr. Ball is that there is an individual and a collective response that needs to happen. The one thing that all black people have in America, and we don't need all of us to do the same thing, but if we can get a sizable minority, 8 to 10% perhaps, we can change how we sell our labor. Because we all have labor to sell. We don't have any other asset consistently among black people, but we do have labor. And if we choose to manipulate our labor, we can make a political change. Yes, there will be a need for some financially. Um, we got a real kind of got a bad connection with you, um, Camille. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the other. And so um, we got we kind of we got we heard most of what you said. But I was, was going to say if you had a lot more to say, I wanted to make, uh, have you call back in because we kind of got a, a slightly bad connection with you. Um, and you know, and I'll, I'll even challenge some of what you said. I would like to hear what Ashley has to say to this. I would challenge some of what you say again. You know, you, you've kind of heard me make this broad, have, have this broad perspective. Um, when I look outside of the United States and just understand um, that at the end of the day, different areas of the world choose different types of government, if you will. And so, uh, to a degree, uh, in a sense, there's always been, a, in a sense, a world of in a, a world where there's a, the haves and the have-nots, if you will. And so. Uh, in the way that people, in a sense, choose to govern themselves, whatever type of government that is, you consistently have this concept of the system itself, quote, unquote, oppresses you. And I would, you know, you've heard me do this before. I would challenge that every way you live, that, quote, unquote, will be a system. And then if we say, well, if you do the best thing in that system, you're supporting that system, as you suggest, I would highlight that's the game that's available to play. Position yourself to play it in the best way. You can do the most for your family and any collective people that you agree to deal with. That's what happens all around the world. And to think that there's another way to do that, in my opinion, is somewhat a little foolish regardless of system. I'll let you respond to that, and I want to hear Ashley's thoughts to that as well. So I agree with you that we have to work within the system that's designed. What I'm, what I'm suggesting is that Unlike other nations, our system has laws specifically written against us that we are not going to fix without collective change. And where we find ourselves is within this system to create collective change, the only valuable thing we have to offer that we can use as leverage is our labor. That's it. Individually, we can do a lot. But collectively, we have one asset that we can use to manipulate the system, and that's our labor. Would you be willing to add skills to that? We all forget to break. Actually, I'll get your response out of the break. Would you be willing to okay. add skills, skills? As I'm talking about, get, gaining the skills of the newer, new world, if you will, the thing of where the world's headed. Could we add skills to that if we were to gain enough skills that are considered valuable for the future? That also could be a way to change it as well. Any thoughts on that, um, Emil? Before we let you go. Yes, I agree. I call labor all for all forms of our injection of ourselves okay, into the system through skill okay. or work. However, got you. That makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So yeah, you just you refer. Yeah, you're. It's all it's all encompassing for you. That makes sense. All right, brother. If you will, if you want to get back in, I would love to get you back in. Call back in because we don't have the best connection with you. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think and. 
Area code 850-LAST-3600. If you want to get in, you do need to press 1. We would love to get your three cents on this question as well. We'll be right back. want your taxes done this tax season or do you prefer to have your taxes completed by a professional on top of current and constantly changing tax codes if so look no further than s kinds accounting and tax services but each year plenty of satisfied customers from around the country return for an efficient and professional tax experience for small businesses s kinds accounting and tax not only provides bookkeeping and accounting on a monthly quarterly and or yearly basis but s kinds accounting and tax goes above and beyond to provide yearly tax strategies to increase the bottom line profits while no one likes when uncle sam or the irs comes knocking know you're in good hands with s kinds accounting and tax call them today at 770-947-3667 again that's 770-947 3667 or email them at advice at the Now is the time to go big. Short answers to long, horrific questions about the stain of slavery are not going to solve the inequality problem. We need to focus on wealth creation and wealth generation. And to do that, we must bring bring the descendants of slaves into equality with this nation. And that's what I propose in this $14 trillion uh, proposal to provide reparations, not only for the sin or the atonement of the sin of slavery and Jim Crowism and and desegregation, both de facto and de jure, but to cause America to live up to the concept and the notion that this nation was born on the idea of American exceptionalism. And if we take that big leap, I am convinced that the problems that we confront today can be solved, but it takes a big, bold action and $14 trillion in reparations for damages visited upon the heirs of slaves is an appropriate statement. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas. This morning's discussion question. Economically, can black people save ourselves? As you heard, Bob Johnson, former owner of BET. And some people may recall when he made his push kind of during the pandemic, actually. And that, I think that might, I forget which broadcast he was on for this one. But during the pandemic, made a push for reparations and highlighted the number from his calculations at 14 trillion is what it should be, if you will. And so obviously hate missing, I would love to hear what Dr. Ball thought of, in a sense, thought of that, but that is in a sense, a political approach. I don't know what Dr. Ball's political approach is, um, but I'd be interested, you know, love to be interested in his thoughts on that as a political approach. I I am a, a fan of this fan of this from the standpoint of once we go through the numbers and knock down the mythology, myth, mythology, myth, 
the mythic ways, I'll say it that way, of what we can <laughs> do that's, that's, in a sense, I would say, shrouded in a lot of misinformation. And, and once you get away from that, I think one of the political solutions that's left on the table is this one. And I would offer Bob Johnson has put himself in a position to, in a sense, start start those fillers, if you will, right? He's in a position within the system to do that. And I would highlight, as I've already said, getting more people in that position could help move that agenda along. Because to Dr. Ball's point, doing what you suggest as a finance coach, Ashley, is yeah, you're not going to collectively get a lot of people in positions. You're going to be able to help those you touch and those who listen to you, which, again, I'm a huge fan of. So to Dr. Ball's point, that's not a quote-unquote collective solution. However, some people yeah. could take that information and push the agenda in a political way, such as this, as a solution, and then eventually help people and let's say reparations happens, whatever it happens, now they're more equipped to handle whatever those reparations look like, which I know you agree with that. But go ahead, Queen. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. You know, what's interesting to me is, like, how we're just missing each other in this conversation because I, I get it, right? Like, we have to be able to do something as a collective, but we still need those skills so that even when we get windfalls of money, whether it's reparations, even to our taxes, um, we know what to do with it to be prepared for these things that will happen. And I just, it just sounds so discouraging, right? Like there, there still has to be work that we're doing on an individual level because even when you have conversations, um, even about, like, politics or money or whatever the subject is, if you don't understand what's happening on an individual level, if you don't know it for yourself, you can't even participate or engage in those conversations on a um, community level because you don't know. And, like, I just want people to know whether that's politics, whether that's finances, whether it's, you know, the skills and the labor that we were just talking about, like you need to know so that you can be a part of the conversations tables. And we're not able to take part because we don't know. Hey, great point. I'm going to get Brother Emil back in here who jumped back on. Hopefully we got a better connection with him. Um, any thoughts on this, Emil? Again, just uh, trying to connect the dots. And, again, I'm not saying that what I'm saying is correct, it's just challenging and learning and pushing from each other because, you know, and like, a, you know, anyway, just jump in, brother. Um, just, just, just the concept of, you know, what you're hearing so far. Go ahead. Kim. Yes, sir. So, um, actually, I love it. I think you're absolutely right that we, we do nothing without education. So, but the education has to be linked. The individual that does well has to be willing to say, I want to serve the collective somehow. And if we say that and we teach that, then we can have these broader, more complex conversations about what we can aspire the collective to do. It it will be a few of us doing really well, inspiring a lot of others who are yet to see that success, but who have enough education to hear that if we work together, we can solve some of these bigger problems. So for me, the, the weapon is labor. If I have this labor that I can sell, 
I can use it to change something. We always talk about voting. I, I vote, but votes are not enough. Votes linked with money works, but labor, teaching people how to save enough money that they can go on strike, and then using those strikes strategically would change everybody's game. So it's not just, it's not just um, individual financial literacy. That's a lot, but it's not enough. It is collective uh, literacy about politics and using the asset that we have collectively strategically. And that's going to take a ton of education, both individual financial literacy and collective political literacy. And, and, and in my opinion, it's due to misinformation. I think it adds to us never connect. I should say never. But I think it quite often adds to us not connecting the dots often. And, and, and what I'm saying, I'm talking about where, the, where you get pockets kind of fighting control of what's, a, in a sense, the best way, the move, best way to move, quote, unquote, collectively. And, and so you get these pockets kind of denouncing whole ideas versus the ability to connect the dots. And, again, that's kind of how I felt and good, and hopefully we'll get the ball on in the future to, to maybe further um, understand, in a sense, where he's coming from. Because, again, I'm not – I want to learn and understand more of what he's talking about, but I am with Ashley in the sense that I don't think you can just say none of that works and say we have to organize politically I can't connect those dots. That's why, again, I hate to keep referring, but I can't connect those dots in a system where, as you just said, Emil, voting and money together works. And sometimes I think, to Ashley's point, whether you have lack of money or, you know, sometimes we'll we'll see people who are focused on just voting, right? And so you get these pockets kind of competed, pitted against each other because of, in my opinion, oh no, in, in, not in my opinion, like Ashley said, it's what you don't know that makes you narrow down and only focus on one or the other, not realizing how both are needed and what your role could be, even if you, quote unquote, don't have the finances to influence a politician yet. However, you can be part of something of, you know, that somebody else who does have that influence when they're putting something together, you can actually pay attention because you now understand they go hand in hand. The other misnomer that quite often happens or gets made is thinking that certain groups don't involve themselves in politics. Like that's an assumption that happens when people are sparse. Like for example, let me me just be very direct and I want to hear both of your thoughts on this, but like, the Asian community often is seen as a group who doesn't get involved in politics. And if you look at where they're in a sense, generally speaking, where they live throughout their country, there are plenty of places where they are sparse. And that can be true. If you talk to their community directly, they don't get highly involved. However, where they live together at, they're very involved in politics. And there's plenty of examples to highlight that and, Best believe the Asian bill against violence or whatever that bill was called didn't happen just because other cultures cared about their community. That happened from political influence, understanding how to connect the economics 
to the politics. But often we say, oh, they don't get involved, so we cannot get involved. Huge mistake when you don't connect the dots. Um, your thoughts, uh, Emil, and I'll go back to Emil, you still there? So, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm sorry, I was on mute. Your assessment, I think, is correct. I think there's a lot that we have yet to learn uh, politically that makes our ability to influence our situation better. So we can learn it. We learned it in the past, and then that institutional knowledge is attacked from external and internal forces. And now we have to rebuild that, that institutional knowledge about how to affect change politically. It's still there. We just have to remember and then revitalize that memory. However, all of it is predicated on all of us agreeing at some point that we want change. And I don't know if we have all agreed that change is necessary. So once we agree to change, the how is a lot easier, starting with individual financial literacy, going to political, collective political literacy, and then we can talk about how uh, marvelously wealthy individuals in our community can help finance and lead some of these collective charges. But until then, until we agree as a people that we need change, fundamental change, it's going to be very hard for us to do anything collectively, or much beyond. I'm actually, I'm actually uh, shocked to hear you say that. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually shocked to hear you say that. I, 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 I'm, and the only reason I'm saying that is I've never been aware of that, that. You know, I'm not saying there's nobody that that thinks this way, but I've never been aware of that as a big portion of the community that doesn't think there needs to be a change. Like that's this is my first time hearing even even exploring that thought. So that's why I'm saying I'm shocked. Well, I would, I, would, I would argue that since the late 70s, the will for, for change has waned significantly. Um, I don't disagree with the will. That. Yeah, I don't disagree with the will. Uh, but, but so for me, the, the goal is to get back to some of the more collective uh, decisions that we had made in the 50s, 40s and 50s, specifically even before the 60s. Because we were all in a very somewhat monolithic position. I won't say totally, but we're in a somewhat monolithic position. You can go from Oregon to Georgia. And black people were pretty much, uh, the median black person was in the fairly same position. Then um, the 70s come along, and a lot of that changes. That changes how we see the need for change. Okay. Well, fair enough, fair enough. Let me go to this break, and I'll get Ashley's thoughts out of this break. You still, you got, you got, you still with me, Ashley, or you need to go? Just checking. Yeah, I'm still here. All right, let me go to this break, and then we'll hear your thoughts on this. We'll be right back. Have you heard the adage that a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, meet Livy Blue Photography, a premier company specializing in capturing your family portraits and turning them into wall art that stands the test of time. One visit to their website, LivyBlue.com, and you will immediately be blown away by the experience as you peruse their gallery. The lead photographer, Jolivia Northern, is a published photographer with over 10 years of experience in capturing families, weddings, and school senior portraits. If you want a breathtaking photography experience, contact Livy Blue Photography at LivyBlue.com. That's L-I-B-I-B-L-U-E.com. The myth functions as propaganda because primarily what ends up happening is that we are convinced 
that we're poor because we're just not spending our money properly. And then we don't challenge or, or redirect our efforts to collective work that addresses the political system. And one of the things that we fail to understand is that wealth is created by state policy, by public policy, by politics. So the interest rates that create the value of your money, the who can buy land, who can invest, all of these are political decisions that if we're not organized, we'll never, if this is not something you can individually do as a business thing. It has to be a collective model. So one thing that comes up all the time and somebody, you know, is that, well, why don't we do like the Asians do and open up restaurants? You got to look at the history of Chinese restaurants. Chinese restaurants are Chinese and U.S. collective state projects. These are not individual entrepreneurs working out of their desperate situation and doing something we're too stupid and lazy to do. The Chinese and U.S. set policy. Going back, they even said the only way, going back to the early or the mid-1900s, they said the only way Chinese people can come into this country is if they're coming as business people. So the Chinese government set up a situation where they gave loans to their own people to set up businesses in the United States, which were matched by other financial benefits from this country to set up all these Chinese restaurants. Public policy, politics, it is not about black people being too lazy and stupid to open up a restaurant. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas. This morning's discussion question, economically, can black people save ourselves? As I hope to play that cut with Dr. Ball on as well, but that's actually Dr. Ball giving perspective on, for example, why are there so many restaurants in our community? That literally came up last night, believe it or not, Ashley. At the, um, we went to Bakari's after the Mental Dollar Live experience, and I literally talked about this cut because it came up. Like, look at what the Chinese do, putting their, you know, their stores in our in our in our community, not realizing yeah. it's to policy. But go ahead, Queen. Any thoughts about what we were saying before the break or even that cut, wherever you want to jump in at? Um, so I, I kind of feel like I agree with the last caller a little bit. Um, but I, I would say like the difference is is that there are so many ways for people to get money right now that people are absolutely about getting the dollar. And I think where that literacy, where that education, whether individual or collective, allows people to do um, things that are more for that long term, right? Not that it stocks, right? But but long term is like your savings if you decide to go on the strike like the caller mentioned. Um, you know, you still have to have that basic understanding of what to do with your money. And I feel like for our younger generation um, and and not just the younger generation, but I just feel like right now people are getting money just to survive and not thinking about how to improve their situation or how to do things better. And this is like based on me having phone calls and talking to people and they just don't understand money. So when you're talking about bringing it together as a collective, if if we're not having these conversations for people to get it, and if they're not seeing other ways that they can do it, then, like, the only thing they're going to be stuck in, which we're seeing a lot of right now, is just, like, this hustle culture of, like, get the money, get the money, and that's it. But, like, what happens when you can't keep getting the money because your health or your family or any other situation is impacting that? Like, we have to be thinking about how does that look in the future? What am I doing now that's sustainable, and what can I be doing in the future? So I, I feel like people have the ability to make money now and people are working two and three jobs that are 
five, six figures and making money, but they're still not making changes with what they're doing with that money. And that's where we have to try to capture them. No, it makes a lot of sense. Let me highlight this as well. And now, call, Emil's still on, just so you know, Queen. Um, oh, okay. Yep, just let you know. And, I, and I'm, I'm about, I wish I could say this correctly. I had on Brother Jay Bailey um, on the show in the past, and this is something he, he said. I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess up some of the context, but I think I can get the, the, the spirit of what he had said. And, and he, and actually, when he was on my show, I reminded him that I saw him talk about this one time. Um, Jay Bailey, he's um, the, um, he runs the Russell Institute for um, Innovation, the um, Rice Center, Russell Institute. Okay. Um, I can't think of the C right now, um, but for entrepreneurs, it's a, um, yeah, a great organization here in Atlanta, but he runs that. But I remember when I first met him, he highlighted that, and I, this number I do remember, 76% of Atlanta were it was and when he was breaking down. It was, it was I remember seventy six percent, and this number was like three thousand, and the three thousand was just um, any any type of catastrophe of three thousand or more would take take basically they were called asset poor. Yep. That was the term. Yep, seventy six percent of Atlanta is asset poor, and that number is based on what like if I remember, I maybe mean, this part I may have a little off, but it's something to the effect of uh, with. Three thousand dollar emergency or catastrophe take you completely under. Seventy six percent of Atlanta's in that. We are the number one city for income inequality, and I'm I'm only highlighting this because what happens was when he was sharing it, we were at a uh, event that was um, like around election time some years ago, right? It was an it was a political event, and he was highlighting it, and we talked about this on the show. And his his bigger point was. So for all of even the push to vote, if you will, the point that he was making is, yeah, you can push the community to vote. Anybody that's asset poor don't have time to think about politics was his point. He didn't say it as directly as that, but when I had him on the show to say, hey, is this what you were saying? He was being honest about that. And so, but the reason he was being honest about it is because Obviously, when the politicians come through and come to the churches and try to influence people to vote and all this kind of stuff, in a sense, they're just caring about, quote, unquote, your vote and nothing else, right? You're not going to be able to influence things or whatever because, again, it takes, as Emil said, money and vote to actually have an influence. But to the bigger point, he was just highlighting the game that gets played on and, he was, you know, on those who are asset poor. So I'm pointing that out because I want to be very clear. And when I say the two have to connect, that I'm also mm-hmm. very aware of the people you're talking to every day, Ashley, right? And and, and yep. I'm very aware of the 76%, so aware of it that I'm not foolishly suggesting that the 76% should understand the politics. I want to point out all right. of that to make bring very a lot of clarity in understanding how it still goes hand in hand, hand in hand in this sense. We need enough people getting the illiteracy that you talk about, right? Get them out of being asset poor. And so the, our government is set up for the business class to run it. There's no ifs, ands, about. That's exactly how this country was set up. However, we can get enough Atlantans, there are, there are other 24% who are in that class, right, 
So I'm just trying to get people to understand the dots have to be connected. However, I'm not asking someone in, you know, in if you are that's asset poor to be focused on politics. I'm not confusing the two. I'm just highlighting these numbers to say once we are aware, we can realize that somebody's running game or actually somebody's coming with an actual solution that fits the person where they're at. I hope I hope yeah. I'm making sense of that. Go ahead, Emil. I'm gonna let you jump in on that thought. Yeah, you're making sense. Um, individual collect individual financial literacy is a huge boon for the people who learn. So the question that Ashley's answering, and we need thousands of Ashley's, is how do we get more of our people that knowledge, where it's comprehensive, they can sit down, they can learn it, they can start practicing it, they can get mentored as they practice it, because that is going to be a game changer. The problem is, how do we get to that critical mass? How do we get thousands of Ashley's in Chicago and Detroit and Atlanta and Seattle and L.A. and, and then in the rural areas of Alabama and Mississippi? Those are the challenges we face. And what Dr. Ball was trying to say was, we don't have a solution that big, and we're not going to. But at the same time, we got people struggling every day who work 8, 12 hours a day and can't get their systemic ends meet. Ashley's trying to solve some of that problem. A lot of the problem is we don't have enough money to save. A lot of times we do, but we don't know we do. So we have to have all of these things happening. And it seems like yep. it's simultaneous. But at least if we start somewhere, if we start somewhere, but the goal isn't, hey, let's replicate Ashley a thousand times and sit her all over the country. It's once people are financially literate, what's the next step? Voting and using your labor as a strategic uh, lever to change policy. It's not individual financial literacy so that they can eat and nothing else. It is step by step until we get to a point where we have a critical mass of collective uh, literacy, political literacy, that allows us to lever change. Once we do that, things are different. But if it's going to start, it's going to start in this economy and in this society. It's going to start with people like Ashley doing work. Absolutely. Making Money Matter Mondays is a definitely um, the opportunity to get more a- access to Ashley, who is an amazing finance coach. Um, so not, you, don't have to be, you, know, you don't have to be in Atlanta to get access to her. We do a private Zoom. You just have to ask us for the link, and we'll make sure you're with us every second Monday. We go all the way down to the basis of budgeting, uh, to understanding the different types of life insurance. It's the, it's the basic questions that she's mm-hmm. connected Money and mental health, because we understand that that plays a huge role in being able to survive some of these times. Area code four zero six last three one two eight. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Good morning. Um, my name is Wamboy, and I'm calling from Atlanta. Um, this has been a fascinating conversation, which I absolutely love. Um, I completely agree with Dr. Ball, where you know this is created by design. We are not meant to elevate. We are the working class, and we're supposed to stay poor. But just because it was designed that way, we also do have agency and want to be able to make things better. And I think that's where, while he pushes the point that it is purely political, it's like we cannot lose hope and, you know, just, okay, well, this is just how it's supposed to be, and we have to have political change. We don't have individually enough power to do that, but 
with oh, I think with what Emil was saying collectively and also knowing that our power is our labor, we are able to at least make an impact and a, an impact and a change for our own community. Absolutely. I did love, there was a lot of parallel with um, the Asian community, which I absolutely love. And when I heard about this topic, I wanted to connect it to the African community. I do agree with Dr. Paul, uh, with Dr. Ball, that politics is a big factor in this. And when you look at African politics, Africa is the richest continent, you know, on the world. Um, a lot of the minerals in, that are in pursuit right now for the global economy are found in Africa, and that's where these constant uh, political strife and, you know, mm-hmm. political strife created there so that access to those minerals are there. But right. there is also a slight uprising, you know, with African countries. We saw in Ghana when the Belgians um, were not willing to give them a fair shake in terms of their, you know, the, the cocoa for their chocolate. They decided right. we're not selling to you. We're going to start our own manufacturing. Same thing with De Beers and Botswana. Botswana is the biggest producer of diamonds. Mm-hmm. They said, if you don't give us 50%, then we're not selling to you. What happens to De Beers is all diamonds. And therefore, it's all Africa. And so I think there is a parallel in just the black economics, not just being here in America, but also mm-hmm. globally, in the Caribbean and in Africa, in how us as a collective, we can bring ourselves, you know, we can elevate ourselves. I mean, I think that the subjugation of black people globally has been beneficial for capitalism and for the West. And so instead of just looking at it just by ourselves, there is, I think there is great opportunity for substantial and um, extended black elevation, like politically and economically and socially, because there's also such a fragmentedness in, in our blackness. It's like they're Americans, they're Caribbeans, they're Africans. And even here we see ourselves very separated you know, and even economically, because Africans come here and they get better, and then they start looking down on African Americans, which is a problem, not realizing we're still all the same people. So I guess my question is, um, and I know Dr. Ball has left the conversation, but what is your opinion in the African, the black collective globally in elevating ourselves economically? Now, that's a great question. I do have to go to a last break, Queen. So um, we'll answer your question out of the break, if you don't mind. Just letting you know. Okay. All right. Thank you for the call. Great call, by the way, as well. All right. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at MoneyMotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes. And I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit. And what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, 
Pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still know it's me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Are you intimidated by money? Well, this is a question most people never think to ask themselves. But when forced to think about it, many people realize they have unrecognized fears that truly affect how they deal with money. If you want to learn more about money and the fears that keep you from prosperity, join us for Making Money Matter Mondays, where money meets mental health with personal finance coach Ashley Thomas and psychotherapist Dr. Katrina Pitt. Every second Monday of the month, find out if you're intimidated by money and what to do about it. To receive a link to this free Zoom event, please DM the Making Money Matter or the Mental Dialogue Instagram pages or contact 404-604-9477. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas. Uh, caller Neil Bryan is hanging on the air with us as well. Wanted to ask answer that Queen's question. Um, Ashley, I'll let you jump in on your thoughts. I definitely have some particular thoughts um, about that particular question. But, again, I think I thank her for that call. Go ahead, Queen. Uh, so I feel like... Part of what she brought up in that question uh, leading to it was just how there is a difference between um, when you have Africans and African-Americans come together. And I feel like part of that is us healing our relationship within our community in order for us to look at the global aspect, because right now, even amongst us, and, and that's just a difference from, like, we're in the States. Things are different versus being in Africa. Um, but, like, healing that relationship in our community is going to be so important because there is mistrust. There are a lot of things going on within our collective that have to be cleaned up before we can even talk about doing things on a global economic scale, right? Like the house has to be good in order for us to move forward. And I think there's some healing and some understanding that has to happen before you even talk about um, coming together globally to move right. the agenda forward. Yeah, I would actually agree with you, and I would offer to an extent um, that that concept, there's there's some fool's gold in that concept. I loved how she highlighted, and the, the De Beers example literally recently just happened, and she highlighted those specific examples of those uprisings, in a sense, against, you know, those groups that or those companies or countries that are exploiting those particular groups in those particular countries where, like, say, mm-hmm. where they're getting the diamonds, where they're getting those resources. And so I'm, I'm, I'm walking through the nuance to highlight how effective they were able to be because they're in a similar situation and they say, hi, we're collectively going through this same thing. And to, it's almost they are doing what Emil pointed out. They, they say, hey, our power is the labor, so if we refuse the labor, we can actually have some influence and have, have they have to negotiate with us. So they acted out exactly what Emil played, pointed out. What I'm highlighting the most is they're, they're doing it probably due to their common culture, their common lifestyle, and what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's how things are way more effective than the concept of that you or I 
in a sense, can be worried about. I love seeing that action, but there's, in my eyes, there's a there's a concept of fool's goal of Pan-Africanism that I used to highly believe in and realize you have to take the, you know, in order to eat an elephant, you have to take the bite. I think that's the whole elephant and getting focused on taking out the elephant. I'm trying to make an analogy here. I'm hoping I'm making it make sense. Actually can lose sight on how effective you can be within your own area, like inside of your own house, as you just suggested, Ashley. Your thoughts, Emil, kind of how how I'm trying to navigate my perspective on what the queen asked. Go ahead, King. Yo, I think think the queen was spot on, and um, I think you are too. Uh, the, The question is, how did one group of people figure out a collective solution that benefits them while another group of people have not figured out a collective solution that doesn't. Because they didn't. That's the mistake. That's the, that's the full goal of race. They, the I, di- I disagree fundamentally. I disagree fundamentally because I have evidence that shows Europe acts a certain way as a, in concert. They do not act antagonistically. I'm not saying it's by design in the sense that somebody sat down and said, we're going to have all of Europe do that. But at some point, Europeans decided to work together. Are they antagonistic? They sure are. Has there been a nuclear exchange between European nations? No. And since World War II, has there been a hot shooting match outside of Ukraine? Not really. So I'm not saying that there's no evidence for it. What I'm saying is we have direct evidence for the last 70 years that Europe has done them less antagonistic toward one another. Whatever that thing is, whether it's economics or politics or um, some sort of solidarity that we can't see, I don't know. I'm not suggesting that it's going to be a panacea that we act like that today. What you said is bite the elephant. And your point is the elephant is the bite. I would say at some point, if we bite enough of this elephant, we all agree it's elephant. We don't have to agree how to eat it. Somebody's going to barbecue it. Somebody's going to uh, eat it raw. Somebody's going to uh, grind it into tacos. I don't care. But the, if we agree it's an elephant, we'll eat it. That's, the, right. that's, where, I, that's where my head is. I'm a and I like, I, like, I like those examples, and I'm just kind of, and I feel if I could just add a little nuance. And that's all I'm really talking about is just what, you know, if you and I agree that we're going to barbecue it, that, that in itself is enough focus. Absolutely. They didn't all agree on one solution. They didn't all agree. It was, it was, their common cause was if we all don't kill each other, none of us will die from starvation. That was enough. Right. That's and fair. perhaps in the Caribbean, in America, and uh, in, on the continent, that's all we have to agree to. Let's just choose not to do certain things, and the rest will take care of itself. That makes sense. I love that. I love that idea. I got the queen. I think she's still on. I'm going to see if I let her jump back in if she wants to. I'm going to give her up since we got a little time. All right, queen, we still got a couple of minutes, not long. So if you, if you want to give a short response to anything you heard, we'll give you an opportunity to do that. We only got five minutes. So if you can keep it down to a couple okay. of minutes, I'll just jump in. All right. Well, I just had a few other comments. Well, I, I 
appreciate what Ashley said. And, and I guess my question is, you have to clean up your own house first. What does that look like? Because we are still the same house, okay? Um, I'm Kikuyu, and we usually say Adwanyup. So we are the same house. And so I guess my question is, what does cleaning up look like? And then after we clean up, then what? Um, in addition to that, I especially liked what Emil said, you know, after we clean, you know, we clean up the house and what does that look like and healing and how do we participate in that healing because we've all been fractured and, and damaged and hurt in different ways. And I know this is a different topic, but we cannot focus on just one thing or you're cleaning the house, but there, it's also burning. There's kind of no point. Let's clean up the house, but we're in a burning house. So we kind of have to address everything and i guess my question is what does that look like from your opinion all right thank you we'll we'll try to tackle a little bit of that we got four minutes left but thank you for jumping back in queen um i'll let since you since you offered that first ashley i'll let you give a quick response to that as well in your opinion yeah so i I think it just has to be this basic understanding that we are a house right because i think even when you talk about the american experience versus the african experience like it's still our collective experience. And so when you have these divided sections of the house, like, oh, well, we're Africans, oh, we're African-Americans, it it doesn't allow us to get on the same page. And, like, the purpose of cleaning the house is so that if we can get it to a place where we all have a basic level of understanding, then we can create an agenda. But right now, because there isn't a consensus that we're all family, we're all in the same house, like, yeah, we might think that, but when we look at our individual actions, how they are tearing us apart or we're not coming together or sharing the knowledge or doing all of those things, then it's harming us. So I think we have to, like, clean the house, like, get to this understanding that we are family. We're all in the same house. And once we have that, then we can be talking about the agendas, but we have to come together for that. And in order for that to happen, we all have to be on the same page. And for me, that's what cleaning the house is. Like, let's get on the same page about the fact that, We are to look out for each other. We're supposed to support each other. Those basic concepts are missing within our community in in some aspects, not entirely and not everyone, but some of that is missing within our collective. I got you. Yeah, I I know this is not a popular opinion, but I think we lose time thinking of a construct of race that was given to us as somehow that there is a collective – agenda that's ultimately effective. I love the aspect of what Emil says, hey, you know, again, we're not able to look inside of the, you know, the European Union over the last 70 years, but it, like I said, just the idea of we're not going to kill each other. Like something broad in that sense, I'm talking about I would, in a sense, love to see, again, outside looking in, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying outside because I want to be or whatever, but outside looking in, just what happens within those countries within, you know, within the continent, if you will, within those countries, if if that was a perspective, I would love to see that because be the thought, because I think there's value in what Emil says, however, being directly connected to it realistically while having to learn financial literacy from Ashley is somewhat unrealistic, and I don't know that we should shoot for that. I don't, and I, and I know, I hope I'm, I understand that what I'm saying may sound like I'm misunderstanding people, but I think that distinction has to be there and cleaning up our own house is getting yourself together and psychologically respecting the history 
and the connection that we have to one another right now, that connection isn't even understood. That's why we have the differences that we currently have between the Caribbeans, African-Americans and Africans. We haven't even got the basic history. Understanding the basic history to love ourselves individually will be the first step. So then when I meet a sister wherever or any spot around the world, then the collectiveness is already there. Whereas currently right now, we have a tendency to distrust one another because we haven't even gotten our history correct. So that's, again, my generalization. We are up against the, the end of the show. Thank you, Ashley, for jumping in and holding me down. Thank all the callers. Thank you, Emil, for, for holding me down as well. Definitely want to thank Jared Ball, Dr. Jared Ball, uh, for his time. And as he said, he's going to come back to the show. So hopefully we'll get to revisit some of his political solutions and hear what they are and maybe how they uh, interact or maybe differ from what we said today. Thank you all. We'll see you all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think.